It's really good to be back with you guys this morning, especially it's good to be with you showered and dressed. If you've ever had one of those nightmares where you show up in your underwear, it's not as actually as bad as it, as it seems in your dreams. It's, uh, it was okay. You guys were good. So uh, you ever have one of those ideas that you think's really good, but then when you actually get there into reality, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of terrible? So I... Um, caught a fish last night, and I want to just kind of pull this out and show this to you guys. That's right. Um, You guys on the front row are probably smelling this, and for that I apologize. But uh, I caught this fish, and uh, if someone has any hand sanitizer, I'll take that as well. But, um, But I want you to know I caught this fish at Central Market. Takes guts to say that in a room full of guys. But I can say that I also have a four-week-old newborn, and I've had three hours of sleep. So yes, I, I caught this fish at Central Market. I'm proud of that. I'm proud I even made it to Central Market, frankly, and that my wife and I are still on good terms. Now, uh, what can you tell me about this fish? It's dead. Stains. David Newcomb, how do you know that it's dead? Huh, that's interesting. I'm going to put this away before someone throws up. Mainly me. Yes, David, there's your sushi lunch. God bless you. I'm not kidding about that hand sanitizer. I'm going to forget and wipe my nose and throw up. Now, I've got another fish here. I don't know if you guys can see that, but I think uh, y'all in the front row can. This, is, this also is a fish. Probably feels kind of elementary. But it's a fish. But what can you tell me about this fish? It's alive. How can you tell me it's alive? It's moving. It's pretty simple, right? It's pretty simple. One's not moving, and therefore we know that it's dead immediately. There's not a whole lot of question about it. And the other one's moving, and we know immediately that fish is alive. And so I think you'll see here what James is trying to tell us throughout this whole passage as he kind of outlines for us Look, there is one that claims to be a fish, but it's dead. It's useless, and it's no good because it's not moving. And there is another that claims to be a fish, and you'll know that it's truly a fish because it's alive and moving. And that's what he lays out for us as he talks about faith and works and the relationship between the two. In chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. And so what we're going to talk about today is that faith without works, per James, by the Holy Spirit, in chapter 2, faith without works is dead, demonic, and dysfunctional. So thank you and welcome. I will be your motivational speaker this morning. (laughs) Dead, demonic, and dysfunctional. Uh, Faith without works would be like coffee without caffeine. And so for a second illustration, we made decaffeinated coffee this morning. What you're drinking actually has no effective power. I'm kidding about that also, before you guys get up and leave in frustration. So when we look at verses 14 through 17, and we're just going to walk through this. Verse 14, James says, what good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can that faith save him? And the answer to those both questions are implied, no, it's no good, and no, it can't save. My mom uh, recently, her gallbladder 
she started to feel terrible. So she goes to the doctor and they're like, well, the problem is your, your gallbladder is uh, no longer a living organ. We've got to take that thing out because it's, it's making you sick. It's not alive anymore. That, that, that organ is not performing the function it's meant to do to re- create the bile or rather release the bile to break down the fat. It's, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's dead. We've got to get it out of there or it's just going to create more sickness. It, it had a specific function that it wasn't doing. So it was rendered no good. It was no good. It could no longer uh, save by the way of breaking down that fat. And so it was removed. It was no good. Verse 15 says, if a brother or sister, what James is doing here, he's going to give, give us an analogy. He says, in the same way, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's an analogy that talk without walk, or to say to someone, God bless you, when they're in great need, it's like, right now, I, God can bless me, but he needs to do it through someone, through you. So don't tell me, God bless me, I, I need help right now. That's what James is saying, is like, that's what it's like to say that, well, no, I have faith, but for it not to be demonstrated through works. He says it's the same thing as seeing someone in need and not doing anything for him. And thus he asks the question, what good is it? And again, the answer is, it's no good. It's useless. There's a quote that says, benedictions don't save starving men from from death. Bread does. And in the same way, I think you could say, kindness doesn't save dying men from hell. The gospel does. Truth does. And so in this day and age, we've got homeless shelters and food banks and in abundance, I think that starvation in America is, is less likely today. There could be malnutrition, but starvation is, is less likely. What is very likely is spiritual starvation. So for us to be around someone in need, spiritually starving, and yet not give them what they need, the truth, the gospel, James would say, well, what good is that? And what this might look like is, is hey, I, you know, I don't, I don't believe in gay marriage. I don't. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to tell my coworker what he should or shouldn't do. I mean, God bless you. That would, that would be uncomfortable. But, I mean, I don't believe it, but I'm, I'm not going to get in there but, and let them spiritually starve and proceed down a road that's going to lead to death. Or maybe it would be, well, I don't, I don't believe in divorce, but my friend's marriage is, is my friend's business. Or to say, I, I don't believe, I, I know my neighbor's not a believer, but... If I was to engage him with the truth and tell him that he was a sinner in need of grace, I mean, that would be awkward and uncomfortable. I don't know if he'd ever talk to me again. So I'll just let him spiritually starve and spend eternity in hell. That's, that's what James is saying is to have that proclaimed faith but not act upon it. It's useless. It's no good is what he says. So in verse 17, he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now before there's any confusion... You might say, hold on, I know we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith, right? No, no we're not. The answer is neither. We're saved by grace. You see, Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and a great many people have faith. 
But what they don't have is the grace of God, the kindness of God to come down and rescue them by Jesus. You can have faith in in many things, even things that aren't even real, but without grace, we're not saved. And so Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is the means, not works. Faith is the means. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. But the passage doesn't end there in Ephesians. It says, for we are his, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus with a purpose, which God prepared beforehand, these good works that we should walk in them. We were saved by grace through faith unto good works. So you see on the slide there, we're not saved by works. We're saved for works. God intends for us in that saving grace to then work. We just sang, how great is our God, that all would see how great is our God. Well, how will they see that? Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by by your love for them. Paraphrase from Martin Luther, we're we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. On the next slide and in verse 18, I am from Missouri, the show me state. I see another Missouri brother there shaking his hand. In 1899, Willard Duncan Van Diver was at a naval banquet in Philadelphia. And in a speech there, he said, I come from a state that raises corn, cotton, cockleburls, and Democrats. And frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You got to show me. And what James is saying here is very similar to the show me state. He's saying, look, you say you have faith. Show me. It should be shown. It should be evident by your works. It's a show me faith. In Mark 2.5, we know the story of Jesus and the friends that lower down the paralytic. They tear apart the roof. They lower down their friend. And this is amazing. Listen to what Mark says that Jesus says. Jesus is watching all this happen. He's sitting there teaching. The roof is torn open. And all of a sudden, he sees a guy lowered down with guys lowering ropes. And it says this, and Jesus saw their faith. Now, that's a very curious thing. Because as far as I know, faith is immaterial and intangible right? I mean, try to put your hands on faith. And yet Jesus said, I see their faith. I can see it. And he saw it by the lowering of their friend. It was faith in action. So true faith is a faith that is active. In verse 18, James says, you say you have faith and I have works. Well, he'll say they're, they're not separable. They're symbiotic. There is an inseparable relationship between faith and works. And so James says, as a result of that, I will show you my faith by my works. Blake Holmes said to me yesterday as we were discussing this passage, he said, look, if, if a fire alarm goes off right now, we would all recognize, oh, that, that's a fire alarm. That's a very clear indication that, that there's... There's a fire alarm going off, and some of you would get up and run, and others would be like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I think I'll wait and find out. I'm not sure. But the people who get out and run would show a belief that I believe there's a fire. I believe that there is a 
something coming, something happening, and I'm going to act upon that. Whereas others, they might mentally recognize, yeah, fire alarm, but without any action. So James continues in verse 19, and he says, you believe that God is one? He's quoting to them the great Shema from Deuteronomy 6, a passage that we all know, and also his audience would have known. And he quotes it back to them. You believe this? And they would have said, yes, yes, we do. We stand upon that. We believe in one holy and true God. And then he says, well, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. They're terrified by that fact. That might be a little offensive, that faith without works is demonic, as he would approach them in that. See, to his now offended audience, to say faith without works is demonic, what he's doing is saying, like, you say you believe that, but so do the demons. The demons fell down before Jesus and said, have mercy on me, son of the God most high. Why have you come before the appointed time? They knew exactly who he was, the power that he had. He was the one who created them. He knew, they knew that he had authority over them. But the issue is not that knowledge. The issue is the fact that they had no love for him, nor did they obey him. There was no obedience. There was no acting upon the recognition of his authority and who he was. And so in the same way, if we recognize it, check the box, yeah, I'm a Christian, but our life doesn't reflect it, James is saying, that, that's demonic. It's the same word that he uses, well, I'm using, that he uses in chapter 3 when he says, if you're walking in the flesh, it's earthly, worldly, and demonic. When I was uh, living in Austin, I've told some of you part of my story, I lived in Austin for eight years, and I think in those eight years, I literally probably drove drunk every night, and the only nights I did not drive drunk is when I had enough alcohol at home. I said, and you can laugh at that. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. It, it's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. It's sad. It's terrible is what it is. Some of you have been affected by drunk driving. And I was so careless with it. I celebrated it. I thought it was hilarious. I didn't think anything of it. Now, what I knew was, from other friends who had DUIs, I'm like, this could end really badly. I know there are police out there who will stop me, who have the authority to put me in jail, lock me away for a long time. I'm going to be out a lot of cash. I feared the police. They stopped me once while I was under the influence. I was terrified. I got out of it. But I knew their authority, but I didn't love them. I didn't like them. I didn't listen to what they said. I avoided them. The issue for me was not knowledge. The issue for me was love and obedience. Now in my life, I saw one the other day at Payway. I went up and thanked him. I'm like, thank you for watching over our city. Thank you for what you're doing. I've had a heart change. I love those guys now. Before, I'd mock them. The issue is not obedience. It's, uh, or the issue is obedience, rather. It's not knowledge like the demons have. It's, it's obedience, it's love, it's faith, it's in action. Thirdly, faith without works is dysfunctional. This is verse 20. And I've written there that a life of faith should be functional, not dysfunctional. This is Ephesians 2.10. Again, you were, you were God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that we should walk in them, that we should walk them out. And so 
if you, if you, like I have in the past, would take inventory of your life and look at your life and think, man, you know what? As I, as I look at my life, I don't see these good works. I don't see fruits. I'm not talking about not sinning. We're all going to sin. And if we say we don't, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. That's not what James says, is not to be without sin. But he's saying like, he's talking about works, obedience. And he says, if, if that's not marking your life, he tells them it's useless, meaning dysfunctional, lacking the function that it was intended to produce. Like my mom's gallbladder. It's no good. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. So I took a look at, at, at my life kind of from 13 to 30. I've got some bullet points up there. Guys, I, I loved, loved my sin. I celebrated it. I felt no conviction by it. Good works? I mean, I, I was just chasing after sin. I, my mind wasn't even on good works. I didn't, it wasn't a thought in my mind. And as a result, I was an alcoholic. I didn't struggle with pornography. I loved it. Brought it into my marriage. Committed adultery. Theft. Vandalism from breaking and entering and throwing a, ho- a party in a vacant house. I mean, I was a train wreck. I mocked Christians. I used to make fun of their songs. I would hear them and I would, I would twist the words and make fun of them. Guys that I knew that were my friends that went into vocational ministry, I mocked them. I said, dude, you got to get in the game. Like, quit playing around and get a job. With the good that they were trying to do that God placed upon their life, I made fun of them. And I was increasingly sinful and decreasingly good. And what I should have done at that point in my life is really consider, like, is my faith alive or is it dead? As I, as I looked at, where's that stinky fish? Like that, I think that would have been me. No, I, I don't want it back. You keep it. I mean, I, I think that was representative of my life, just lifeless and useless. It was dead, demonic, dysfunctional, like James says. So that's one camp that maybe you ought to consider. The other one, because our lives are not always going to look just like this perfect track record. David's didn't, Abraham's didn't, mine doesn't. It's not always going to be marked by this. Like this beta fish, wherever it is, sometimes beta fish look dead and you're like, you flick the glass of your office worker with the bamboo beta fish and you're like, is that thing alive? You need to clean that out. But sure enough, it's little, it's alive. In the same way, we need to watch our lives and so that it should either maybe cause doubt for you to consider your life, or to deepen. That we would deepen our relationship with God because idleness of your faith will produce atrophy. And soon, that faith won't be able, it won't be strong enough to do that which it was intended to do. The good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. The next bullet there under deepen, the answer is not just, well, by golly, then I'm going to work more. The answer is to abide more. You would abide with Jesus more. You spend more time with him, you look more like him. 
We talked about a couple weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier, the Holy Spirit in us. So as we look at God's word, not just be hearers, but doers, and we yield ourselves to him, we will be shaped more into his image. The works will be the overflow of the abiding. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. It's out of that deepening love that will just overflow. It won't even be probably a thought on your mind. It'll just, you'll be in the middle of a situation and be moved to it. Duke is probably thinking right now, I wish I would have taken that shot. I wish I would have dove for that ball. I wish I would have sprinted down the court. They're sitting right now watching other games with a bunch of I wishes. Those times when they were on a shot clock and their coach was screaming for them to run the play, and they didn't, and now they're out. Guys, we too are on a shot clock. Our days are numbered, every one of them ordained. We don't know what the shot clock is, but there's one ticking on each one of our lives. We have a window, a very temporal window of opportunity to do these good works that God's given us to do. He's gifted us to do it. He's put the Holy Spirit in us. He's given us a faith to do it. It's up to us now to walk in those, to do them as James says, to not be rendered dead, demonic, and dysfunctional, but to be life-giving and good and productive. Guys, that shot clock's ticking. We have a fixed amount of time. And I believe that when we're in, in eternity, there won't be tears But I think at the end of our lives, there will be a sense of, as we're breathing our last, like, man, I wish I would have given away more. I wish I would have shared the gospel with so-and-so. Now is the time. Now is the time for that. I want you to remember this beta fish. As you consider walking out your obedience, as James says, if I take this beta fish out of this water, it will not be long before this fish is dead. And in the same way, Jesus says in John 15, 5, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So guys, as we go out of here, abide more daily with Christ, in his word, with his people, and as an overflow of your love for him, Walk out what you know you're called to do with the shot clock we're on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of faith, Lord. It's a gift, and we thank you for raising us from the dead. I pray, Lord, that as we take inventory of our life, we would consider where we are if our lives are marked by obedience out of an overflow of love, and that we would go out of here, we would deepen our relationship with you, that we would walk out those good works you've given us, that our lives would never be like that dead fish, that they would not be dead, demonic, and dysfunctional, but they would be fully functioning by faith. We love you, Lord. Amen.